Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 32, brought to you by Lifetree at PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. Oh, the wonders you'll find if you go to PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. I almost couldn't spit all that out. But head on over there, and you'll see past episodes of this podcast and other stuff. And you can go to the JesusCenteredLife.com if you want to check out even more uh, resources and connections to things. All of our, our whole Jesus-centered universe is, uh, is you can access from there. So my name is Rick. I'm author of Spiritual Grit, the newly released book. came out uh, just three months ago now. And uh, by the way, the, the chapters in Spiritual Grit, each at the end of each chapter, have some small group questions. So if you're interested in doing some kind of book club still this summer, or um, even for personal reflection, uh, the questions are flexible. They can be used for personal reflection or in a small group setting. So go out and grab a copy of Spiritual Grit. I'm also uh, author of The Jesus-Centered Life and general editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible. So today, this is exciting, we're kicking off a whole month wait for it, of episodes on Jesus' relationship with Satan. Wow. I think we should have some spooky-like music um, when I say that. Maybe Adam will put some spooky-like music over that when I say that. But And actually, um, the spooky-like music is what we expect when we're thinking about Satan or the demonic or the supernatural. It's all very, very weird, especially for... Western eyes and ears. But the trouble with that is that the supernatural, and especially the Jesus's connection to the demonic, uh, to evil, to the spiritual world, is all over the New Testament, um, and it's threaded through basically his everyday life. So it's hard to ignore the number of times that Jesus is dealing with spiritual, the unseen spiritual world. So it's, it's really putting our head in the sand if we don't pay attention to how Jesus interacted with Satan himself and any demonic influences that he came across, and then considered, well, what does that mean for our life? Is that just something that happened with Jesus and doesn't really happen anymore? What difference does this make to our daily life? Well, uh, this month we're going to make the case that this is a huge aspect of the normal Christian life that gets either overlooked or given too much attention in a, in, in a dramatic, overly dramatic way. So, so the spooky music is an overdramatic way to highlight this whole deal, but the truth about all of this is that Jesus was very relaxed in how he dealt with all this stuff. And today, what we're going to do is listen in on a conversation I had with two people I really respect that deals with how relaxed Jesus was with all of this, and how this might impact our own everyday life. So we're going to use this conversation with these two friends as a kickoff to a month-long focus on Jesus' relationship with Satan. And I I just came back a few days ago 
from the Simply Jesus Gathering, which was held at a ranch near Eagle, Colorado, which is, uh, if you've ever been to Colorado to go skiing, uh, this ranch is uh, probably uh, 20 miles west of Vail, Colorado. And it's a annual gathering of people who love Jesus and want to and want to pursue him, experience him and talk about him for 3 days straight. So there's 250 300 people there for the 3-day event and it always attracts uh such an incredible mix of people to this event. Not just the speakers who come to speak, but just the participants who came. I I met so many remarkable people I First night, I sat with this couple that were there from Bavaria, come all the way from Germany to be there, and just listening to their story of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a country that's become more and more secular and even resistant uh, was fascinating. I speak at Simply Jesus, and so I have a, a lot of connection, and I'm around the other speakers that come, and wow, they're they're really extraordinary people, and and two of my you know, two of my favorites, I guess, to, I, I'd say they're two of my favorites, are Conrad Gempf and Jay Pathak. So Conrad Gempf is, uh, teaches uh, New Testament theology at the London School of Theology. So he's an American, but he's been living in London for 20 or 30 years. So that's where he teaches the London School of Theology. And Jay Pathak is the lead pastor for the Mile High Vineyard in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he's also the co-author of the book, The Art of Neighboring. And so both of these guys I have so much respect for. And what you're going to listen to now is simply a conversation between the three of us about Jesus' relationship with Satan and our own personal experiences dealing with what you might call the unseen spiritual world. More spooky music now, Adam, when I said unseen spiritual world. But we're going to talk about these things in a normal, natural way, and I think you'll be fascinated by what they have to say. So let's listen to my conversation with Conrad Gemp and Jay Pathak. Let's just start by having kind of both of you respond to the the general, the kind of the umbrella part of this. So Jesus dealt a lot with Satan and the demonic. Uh, it was a kind of a a big part of like almost like his everyday life had something like this impinging upon it all the time. And yet we seem, it seems distant, weird, strange, kooky, um, like not something we ever a talk about, but certainly don't, uh, experience on an everyday basis. So let me just ask it to start out with why was this such a common thing for Jesus and why isn't it so common for us? It's a great question. Um, I come from a background where it was only a gospel thing <laughs> that we weren't supposed to think about demons or miracles today. Um, a Bible believing community I was in, but, but yet taking the miraculous forward, we, we didn't do it now. Since then I've seen things. <laughs> and been places where I know that such things happen nowadays. But it is interesting. There is something to be said for the idea that there was a massively increased bunch of satanic and demonic activity surrounding the years that Jesus visited the planet. If you look at the Old Testament, for instance, you don't find a lot of 
explicit dealings with exorcisms. However, in the first century you do, not just surrounding Jesus and Jesus' followers, but we have evidence in the New Testament of uh, the sons of Sceva in Acts, who are sort of making a living off somewhere, exercising demons any way they can. So I, I think it's real, I think it still happens, but I think there was a massive increase in the amount of activity around the time of the Incarnation, to which I'm guessing it has something to do with Satan knowing something important is going on and he better do something, but apparently not knowing quite what to do. Just a quick follow-up to that. So you said that you've actually come in contact with it in your travels, that you've been around something like this. And can I ask, when you did have contact with it, what was your uh, response or experience of that? Utter surprise. Uh, it was when I was still studying um, long before I, I took on teaching. Uh, and I was with a, a summer ministry group and one of the people in the group wasn't really quite right. And it turns out that she had to be exercised and fought with a couple of Boston College football players. <laughs> you mean literally physically fought with them? Physically fought with them and held her own, um, trying to get away from having the demon exercised. Yeah. And what was the outcome? She was exercised and it stayed part of the team. And that became part of our testimony, of course, as a team in this outreach. Mm. But it was amazing. Mm. It was nothing like I expected, wanted, <laughs> thought could happen. And, and of course, it went into my thinking that about what is reality and what, what is Christianity now? So I think uh, I'd love to follow up on that in a second. So Jay, what about you? What's how, how would you answer the same kind of broad question about this? Yeah. I mean, my experience is similar to Conrad's in that, uh, if you go anywhere, pretty much outside the Western world, this is not even, even mildly strange to have this conversation. Actually, what's strange is the thought that there aren't demons interacting hmm. with people. So I've been all over Central Africa, East Africa, and, you know, we were in a village, you know, if you're in a village in, let's say, Western Ethiopia, and things start to happen, everyone just kind of kicks into gear. It's almost, um, what's unsettling as a, a Westerner is how calm they are about it. <laughs> we went way out into this middle of nowhere area and we're preaching literally under like a tent. There's like hundreds of people there and this is how they're going to plant a church. And my friend Corey's preaching and a woman just comes running out of the village screaming at the top of her lungs and she goes at the stage where my friend's preaching. These men just jump in front of her, grab her, pick her up. They're carrying her out. The guy next to me says, don't worry, it's just a demon. <laughs> like literally no one... No one, no one stops. No one asks any questions. They carry her around the corner. And it was a new village that we were planting in. So they had not had any churches. It was kind of animist, witchcraft place. And he was like, yeah, this is going to happen like every time we gather. Hmm. Like for a really long time. So, this is just what we do. Jay, am I wrong then? Is it not that there was a 
massive increase of activity at the time of Jesus? Is it still there and we're just not noticing it that much because our culture just sort of blips it out? I think some of it is paradigm in that, yeah, we don't have a paradigm of the spiritual world and or it also is that in most of the West, we're not directly interacting with the demonic world on purpose. So there are animist tribes that know their demons and they actually try to work with demons to help them. So they've made certain kinds of agreements and engagements to where it's like direct. It isn't indirect, it's direct. Mm. Family spirits, um, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So when you show up and you start preaching Jesus, part of what's required for Jesus to be king in that family is they have to somehow deal with the family spirits they've had agreements with, maybe for generations. And it turns out, whatever they were doing with family spirits, they're really there. They start standing up and saying things and, and, and showing with great power that this is my family. That we, we own this family. Hmm. And so it is, a, it is a genuine clash. But I do agree, of course, when Jesus appeared, I mean, I, my, one of my favorite ones is in you know, Mark 1 where he's just like teaching and this demon screams out just because he's in his presence and he screams out something in- exceptionally stupid. Like you would think a demon would want to hide in that moment <laughs> and he screams out, I know you are the Holy One of God, you come to destroy us. It's like he can't stop himself. It's almost like, like the, the presence of God in the midst of this demon found in Jesus is so powerful it's like it's burning him somehow he screams out and Jesus just goes come out that's enough interesting I'd love to chase you on that but first I want to go back and ask something else and that is the family thing and the Mm. acceptable agreements thing makes me wonder if the reason that I don't find it in the Old Testament is because it looks different in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. so that it's the 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 gods, yes. the, the nasty gods of Egypt and so on, who yeah. would have agreements, and so we don't think of it as demon possession because because they've got tribes and families that mm-hmm. yeah are demonically empowered. I mean, it, so much of what happens with prophets going into places is to tear down high places, right? Like go and tear these things down. In other words, sort of break the contracts that these wow. families are making with demons. I mean, I, I could tell you a bunch of stories about it, but like one, for example, we're in way in the middle of nowhere, Ethiopia, and there's a tree that they believed had the spirits of their ancestors living in this tree. It's like it's a tree in the middle of nowhere. You know, we were in South Sudan, or, or, or West, Western Ethiopia, almost to Sudan, right on the border. Mm-hmm. So it's like nothing, it's pretty desolate. And there's just, and it was a pretty austere looking tree, right? And you're like, what is this doing here? I mean, it, it was kind of majestic. They have the little places. And so the people going there to talk about Jesus are immediately just start praying that God would deal with these demons. They felt like these demons were controlling, you know, messing with people's minds, disabling them from hearing the gospel. I kid you not, this tree gets struck by lightning and burns to the ground. <laughs> wow. While they're praying? Uh, within the week they were there. So oh. at night, it burned, it, the, the, everyone wakes up screaming because it's on fire. Uh-huh. And these believers take the opportunity. They stand up in the morning and say, Jesus Christ, 
has delivered you from these demons that have held you in oppression. Right. What you thought were your friends were your foes, and Christ has come to set you free, and bam, whole place comes to Christ. And so like we read things like that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's just, you know, I think in the West, it's not that we don't have demonic powers. I think, as is taught in the scriptures, many of the sort of demonic powers in the Western world are invested in systems of worship, mm -hmm. not necessarily individuating in the way people are engaging. So what you really mean by that is that there's systemic evil, yeah. and perhaps it's because, uh, I always say that I my experience in this realm is that Satan is shrewd, but he's lazy, right. meaning he, he will choose the, the path of least resistance to destroy as quickly and as with little effort as possible. So he studies the environment that he's in yeah. to, to do those things. And if, and if in the Western world, systemic evil and systemic a, a possession, I guess you could call it, is the most efficient way to destroy as many people as possible, then that's what it'll do. When, when you were talking, when both of you were talking, I was thinking about um, in the small group that I lead that has college students on down to middle schoolers, about 20 kids that show up for this every week. For a long time, my wife had been kind of prodding me, and, and she said, you know, Rick, we've been doing this for three years, different experience every week, pursuing Jesus, and we've never really in a kind of a frontal way gone after his relationship with Satan. I think you should do that. Mm. And so I, I finally said, okay. And I had to ask myself, why haven't I done that subtly so far? And part of it's because it sounds so weird yeah. to Western ears. And I want these kids to focus on Jesus, not sidelight things. And I was, yeah. I think I was subtly concerned that they might, their attention might be focused on something that seems more interesting to talk about than Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we, we did it. We, we did. I created a whole evening of focusing on this. And one of the things that emerged out of this conversation was how natural, calm and relaxed Jesus was about all of this. Mm -hmm. It just reminded me when you talk, when you're talking about this, that Jesus himself was never dramatic. In fact, he tamped down the drama whenever possible. He was just, it was almost as if some of the things he said to the demonically oppressed or, or possessed was almost uh, an afterthought, a throwaway. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, well, you can go to the pigs then. I mean, there's just things that we would find just huge. He treated as eh, just uh, every day. And so what was left at the end of the evening, I think, was the impression amongst those kids that, that they had permission to think of this as natural, not histrionic, and that Jesus responded in a relaxed way. And there was a reason that he was relaxed. So maybe the question embedded in here is, why was Jesus so relaxed about all of this? And we are not. Boy, I... Before I tackle that, it reminds me of something that I wanted to get back to, and that is the demons aren't relaxed. Mm -hmm. oh, that's true. The, the yeah. demons are like, um, what did Jay say? Like burning with them, yeah. and they have to say good things like, you are the son of God. When, when it would be much more clever to say, Jesus, my old buddy, I haven't yeah. seen you since. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but they don't, and I think that's really weird. You know, who is calm is Satan himself when he's with Jesus. Mm. I've never understood the difference between mm. Satan who confronts Jesus 
and not only is calm, but he's able to still lie and try and twist scripture with Jesus. And then the demons who are just the opposite. It's like they're suddenly red kryptonite or truth serum or something yeah, where they, right. it, it, it's, I don't, I don't understand the difference between them. So, but maybe it has something to do with the authority that they feel they have mm-hmm. where the demons know that they're nothing. Satan pretends that he's something. Jesus knows that he's something, but I don't know. I want to ask Jay, what do you think the difference between Satan and demons? Well, I, I, you know, again, we're so much of the scriptures and you would know this better than me, Conrad, uh, being a new Testament scholar, but there's, you know, I, I love reading Af- African theologians, you know, because they see the world through spiritual eyes. So, you know, they come to passages in Ephesians and Colossians where at the cross, Jesus has disarmed, you know, the powers and principalities of this age. There's a spirit of this age. And I know these things can move in all kinds of different theological systems, but there is something to be said for, in some way, Satan does have dominion of this place. He has the ability to do as he sees fit. He believes that so much so that he can look at Jesus and say, hey, you're on my turf. Let's talk a little bit about what I can give you. (laughs) <laughs> and Jesus, of course, is like, mm, you don't quite have that right. You know, like, like it's not. But in some sense, he does believe that because he is kind of doing things like that to people. Mm-hmm. He has been given some kind of, he has some kind of authority to, to mess with the systems of this world. And, you know, I'm, I'm right now teaching through Revelation. And so depending on how you teach Revelation, or how you, you know, some are futurists, everything's in the future, and late great planet Earth, and left behind, and all that, which is, I think, nuts is the short version. But, 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 but once you sort of get that out of your head, and you start reading through that, and you see that the dragon is animating the beasts that are opposing the will of God in the world, and that these beasts represent different things like economies and governments... And John is not confused about this. So when you're being accused and beaten up as a believer in under this Roman oppression, and you believe this, this dragon has more power than God, it sure look that way. I mean, their friends are being hung on crosses and being lit, lit on fire at parties. And John's giving them this vision saying, no, 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 no. This is a smokescreen. Uh, the lamb wins. And it turns out uh, that's been, it's coming to pass. Mm. Uh, you know, Rome that looked unstoppable. Uh, now we, you know, eat Caesar salads and name our dogs Nero. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 but these powers are still at work. And so it's right for believers to be suspicious of governmental systems and economies and corporate entities that may or may not have in mind the things of God and can be animated by other powers because the God, the, the, the epistles seem to think Jesus seems to interact with Satan in a certain way that he does have some kind of dominion in this place and works that authority out. And so maybe the, the underlings can't quite manage the, the, the encounter. Well, I wondered if, um, here's a guess. Tell me how stupid it is. <laughs> 
Satan has this has some dominion over the earth. But maybe the demons are pushing their luck with trying to take possession of individuals mm -hmm. and of people. So maybe they know that they're exceeding yes. the dominion. Mm -hmm. You like that? I okay. do like that. I think they're, of course, they're pressing for every every bit of ground they can try to take, and they are overplaying their hand. I mean, whenever I'm, whenever I mean, I've been in a lot of deliverance moments with people. You go to pray, they shake, they growl, they fall on the ground, they roll around, stuff like that. And nearly always, you know, the, these interactions, they just overplay their hand, mm -hmm. try to, for, you know, threaten you uh, so they can do something. And it's as though, like, I just am trying to intimidate you out of this moment. Mm -hmm. No, we're not going to do that. And you step in with, and, and you, you do have authority from Jesus. And also, if, I mean, if you continue the dominion thought, people have some kind of authority. So when they're making agreements with demons, those demons are leveraging those agreements. Mm. He said, I can do this. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first demonic encounters I ever had, I was walking with a friend of mine, not a believer, sharing my faith uh, with him. And we're walking along and there's a homeless guy. And I always try to make a priority. So, you know, connect to somebody who asked me for something because I think Jesus says something about that. So this guy asked me something. I said, you know, I don't, I can't give you any money, but I'd love to pray for you. He goes, oh, I don't know. I said, oh, you don't have to do anything. I'll just pray for you. I'll just bless you. And I put my hand on him and I pray for him. And he turns and he bites my arm like a, like a dog and starts shaking it like a dog. And I go, ah, stop. You know, and I'm pushing him with my other hand. And he just face off of my arm. And he finally lets go and he kind of comes back too. And this is what he says. He goes, I don't know why you're messing with them. Mm. Why are you messing with them? They protect me. And he runs away. Mm. My buddy stand there and he goes, wow, that guy's mentally ill. And I went, well, he might also be mentally ill, but that had personal power. Yeah. Something happened there yeah. that was a clash of the kingdoms. The presence of God came close to him and this yeah. demon went, no, we got to get, we got to get this guy to go away. Yeah. I, I, as you're, even as you're talking about that, I'm remembering that, um, when I wrote this book sifted, um, I interviewed a guy that somebody had introduced me to who had a counseling practice, but a lot of his practice had sort of ballooned into deliverance yes. with people. And he had found himself because he was in this position, trying to learn more and more. Mm -hmm. He just kind of poured himself into how do I do this? And he had become mature in this. And he was the most unlikely person for this. When I met him, I thought, wow, this is that guy. He was just so unassuming, mm -hmm. so everyday, so everything. You just would never have guessed this guy would be doing this. And so I spent a lot of time with him asking him to tell me stories of what, how he has done this with people. And one of the things that he emphasized, which kind of took me off guard a little bit, was he went into great detail about the legal system set out the spiritual legal system set out in the old and new testament mm. and what he had learned about that which gave him peace and confidence in any situation mm. because if you understand the legalities of it mm -hmm. you can assert legal rights for things and that's how he approached things yeah. he he just discerned his the legal rights and he he said things like kind of like some of the what you have said jay he he told me many stories of where he would say to a person okay i'd like to know your name now now demonic spirit 
you need to tell me your name. Mm-hmm. And the way he treated this was, they have to tell me their name. Yes. They, they have no choice. They have to tell me their name. And then they do tell me their name. And then I start to deal with them on a kind of a personal level. Mm-hmm. It's all freaky unless you're hearing an unassuming guy <laughs> sitting across from yeah, you talking normal. about it. Yeah. Right. But uh, his big thing was about authority mm-hmm. and legality mm-hmm. surrounding that. And maybe, Conrad, you could speak a little bit to this about the issue of authority relative to Jesus and how, when and how he speaks about authority to his disciples. You could maybe locate it, if you want to, in this particular area of the demonic, but he speaks about authority in other realms as well. What is the what is the role of authority, and why should we pay attention to how Jesus related to the, the concept of authority? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm I'm resistant at first to the idea of legality, but there certainly is a hierarchy that that the demons seem to have no power but to obey. And, and that has to do with God and God's authority. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has that and has given some of that to us, um, has delegated that authority. So he does expect us to go around doing amazing things and to have power over demons. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it fascinating to think about the, the concept of, of dominion and agreements that people have made. But there, it seems like Jesus has the authority mm-hmm. to shatter yep. that legality. So I can imagine the demons trying to, and Satan trying to hold on to some legality. They mm-hmm. said I could be here. Yes. And and Jesus, or the Christian, has the authority to say, I don't care what they said. Okay. In the name of Jesus, you need to go. Yeah. It is It is fascinating that we are dealing with the demons. Jesus... Jesus somehow knew whether somebody was sick because they were sick or whether somebody was sick because they were possessed. And you can tell the difference. The difference in the stories are quite amazing Mm because he'll talk to people when they're sick, you know, but he'll talk to the demons inside them when it's demon possession. And, And the curious moment when his disciples say, hey, we couldn't get the demon out of that one. And Jesus said, well, you kind of approach that wrong with that one. You have to fast over that one. Yeah. Pray and fast over that one. And so apparently there's different recipes for different situations. I've, I've questioned that with other folks and I had somebody say that Jesus didn't mean, okay, you get down on your knees right then and stop eating for 15 minutes, Hmm. but rather how long your life has been a life of prayer and fasting how much oh, hmm. that there's a that there's a, a an authority a way into Jesus authority that you get by soaking in his yes. soaking in the in being his and relating to God and the closer you are to God the more of that authority you have but of course this was before the 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 disciples had the Holy Spirit living in them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but you're you're also saying there, which I think is fascinating. If if what you're saying is true, he's he's saying, hey, this isn't a gimmick. You're not Harry Potter mm-hmm. waving your wand and getting the <laughs> spell right. This okay. is this is this is an outcome, a fruit of the, my entrenchment in you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love that. How, how do you react to that, Jay? I like it. I, that's Mark nine. We're talking about, and I like. Uh, I mean, 
again, I have a New Testament scholar sitting next to me. So I hesitate to say that I've heard many people say that the that fasting piece is likely and could be an addition. So it's a little note on the bottom of that text. What do you mean by an addition? Well, the, in the transcription of the text, someone may have... So earlier manuscripts don't have and fasting. It just says this kind comes out by prayer, hmm. which is an interesting thought. Let's just play with that for a second. Because what's interesting about that is it means that somehow they were trying to cast the demon out of the boy without even praying. Hmm. <laughs> so meaning, meaning they weren't in a dependent posture. Precisely. They're commanding, like from their own whatever, for this demon. You know, in other words, they've gotten a little too big for their britches. And so when Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration, all this, there's a scene of the man with his boy uh, and then the people standing around mocking Jesus kind of calms down the, the moment, if you remember. He kind of talks to the dad for a minute. Hey, so how long has he been like this? You know, he, he, like, he does some really natural things. And you're like, why doesn't he just jump into action? And, and the dad says, well, if you can. And he goes, if I can. Anything can happen to him. He believes. Why? And then the dad starts to lie and catches himself. Says, I believe. Uh, help me with my unbelief. <laughs> and if, if the super charismatics are right, and that faith is what is required in order for God to do things, then Jesus would have been right to say, well, if you don't have faith, what are you even doing here? How dare you? This is offensive. But instead, he sets the boy free. And then when he walks around, walks away, the guys go, what happened? What do we not get right? And he goes, guys, you didn't, you're not in a posture of dependency. You're, you're trying to command this demon out. What is wrong with you? And by the way, that's a repeated theme with the disciples. They keep thinking they can just take this power and utilize it as their own sort of will. When Jesus is saying, no, the power comes from a dependency on me and with me, and you're doing the kinds of things I'm doing. Yeah, you could probably make the case, just thinking about this on the spot here, that, that independence is the greatest threat to everything that Jesus has called us to do yes. and it's independence that he goes after with the most vigor in people and he uses his most extreme language if you're a branch and you're not abiding in the vine you're going to die yeah. and your wood's going to be completely dead and it'll only be fit to be burned up at that point look I can't how how strongly can I say this to you yeah. don't be independent <laughs> so it, it seems as though I mean not just in this arena but independence in general is the great bogey for us as mm. but you were going to say you were going to hop in here Conrad yeah because it reminded me I mentioned the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts yeah. are mentioned as, as uh, demon enemies and demons demon hunters Um, they try to use the name of Jesus and the name of Paul without that dependency and they run in that like the Harry Potter thing and they run into the demons who hilariously hilariously beat them up in in this kind of uh, black and white sped up comedy sequence and they say essentially we know who Jesus is we know who Paul is but who the pardon the expression (laughs) hell are you that's that's exactly right and they're like uh oh (laughs) and then they beat them up badly yeah. and whatever. Yeah. And so in other words, they're using an incantation, so to speak, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually walking in and abiding in the authority and the presence and the power of the kingdom. And you see, and that happens more than once in Acts. You know, there's a guy who watches uh, the power of God and says, make me, ah, teach me to do that. Yeah. I, I, I'm a sorcerer. I'd like to learn your new style of magic. It's like, no, yeah. you don't understand at all what we're doing here. So, so Jay, uh, um, Conrad, um, 
in response to the whole legal thing, you said, uh, I have to get my mind around that a little bit. I'm not quite sure about that. So w I want to hear your perspective as well on, on the whole focus on legality with all of this. Well, my, mine's entirely pragmatic in that when I've been in deliverance experiences with people, you do have sometimes you have interactions like you were describing earlier with like a demon directly and to ask, where did you come from? What do you think gives you the right to be here? Mm. Oh, well, I've been in this family for two generations. Mm. Every father blessed the child, mm. and I've helped them with dot, dot, dot. Or, no, they made an agreement with me. Mm. If I would do these things if he would do these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you go, wow, that's pretty weird. So then you ask, the, does this sound right? Yeah, this is right. Well, do you want to renounce that? Do you want to mm. turn to Jesus? And nearly always, as people do that, then you go to pray and it just goes away. Let's go. Has to. Yeah. Because there's a different authority. I'm just saying, totally pragmatically, I could work a different little theological thing out of that. I'm just saying, pragmatically, just watching, well, how did you get attached? What's going on here? And by the way, this might not even be like an agreement in the way that you like said something. Paul says this crazy thing in Ephesians. He says, don't let the sun go down your anger and give the devil a foothold. Mm. As though somehow, mm. by like resisting what God does in your life, you're leaving spaces for demonic activity to like kind of grip you. Yeah, so maybe the, the, the metaphor of a, you're opening a door that should have been kept shut. Yeah. Uh, by your actions in in some sense or you know these kids that when i talked about when we dealt with this uh as a group some of them already knew yeah i know that i'm not supposed to play with a ouija board or right. i know that i'm not supposed to do uh you know uh, come uh, recite spells or right. you know read anton LaVey or whatever yeah. i know i'm not supposed to open those doors yeah. and i think there's there's truth in that the 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 guy that i interviewed that i told you about he did something fascinating that i've ever since when i'm involved in these situations i i always do this cuz it just seems so simple childlike but when he prays with people in this arena he always says at the end of it okay now it's time for you, speaking to the demonic presence, to go where Jesus tells you to go. He doesn't himself say anything mm. that you must do this or that. Mm. He says, whatever Jesus tells you to do right now, I want you, you have to go to him and do whatever he says. Wow. And it just so startled me because I'd never heard anyone say that. But it's become a part of some, when I'm in these situations where I sense this is part of the encounter, I will say that, um, go, go where he sends you to go. Um, mm. because really it's another expression of dependence. It's not me trying to, you know, be the hero here. I'm just trying to facilitate something that is done in the authority of Jesus, uh, with all of this. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that these things aren't binary, right? Like they all kind of mash together. So John Wimber would talk about how demonic influence is often like a wound and an infection. Like, there's things happening physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally with people, trauma. You know, so, so I am all for counseling, medicine. Not everything's a demon. Mm -hmm. It just isn't. Um, and, and also, I believe that 
in the sort of, so in other words if you heal the wound you tend to deal with the infection too so it isn't always like these power encounters with mm -hmm. demonic oppression um you would all you would also say it was like rats and garbage if you get all the garbage out of the house the rats go away mm -hmm. you know so different kinds of patterns of sin and destruction in people's lives does sort of create avenues where demonic influence can kind of mess with people hmm. and you get rid of some of that goofy stuff but sometimes the rats don't want to leave right away so you get rid of all the garbage and they start biting the walls or whatever and you can come and but they don't have a lot to cling to hmm. and so i'm always nervous when we're interacting with people and we're having all these deliverance encounters but we're not talking about like a life of obedience and dependence on jesus hmm. i mean jesus tells stories like this to, to warn us of kind of just the never-ending power encounter and I've often experienced as people walk through wholeness, forgiveness uh, in their life, they experience more grace, they make better decisions on how they manage. Mm. A lot of the demonic stuff will let go. Let me, uh, let me ask you both something that was brought up before that seems ever more daunting than this conversation, as daunting as this can sound. But we've talked about how demonic evil can inhabit systems. Mm. And that seems far more like... I don't even know where to start with that. Mm. Is that simply then translated to working for justice in our dependent relationship with Jesus? But what, what do you do with systems that are demonically inspired and meant to destroy? What What is our role in, in responding to that? I was going to cut in and ask you guys that same question. You're in. In, in, in moving back to what we were talking about earlier, the way... One of the things that we think has happened is that demons are involved with systems and systemic evil in a way that, um, it, to a greater extent than they than they were perhaps. And I'm wondering, we can't cast Satan out of the world. That we we can't do that because he has been given some kind of dominion over the world until mm -hmm. the Book of Revelation, and he's finally cast out by the one who can cast him out. Mm -hmm. So for us to do that is almost strangely going against the will of God, trying to rush God mm -hmm. in what he's trying to do, to, um, mm -hmm. um, trying to force Jesus to be king before he's gone through the mm -hmm. crucifixion. It would be the, the same sort of thing, right-minded, but, but Jesus turns to Peter and says, no, you know, I've got to go through this. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong for us to try and exercise demons out of systems out of banking systems or or is that part of satan's authority and therefore we have to be faithful in standing up to that oppression or is it the kind of oppression where we can go to the bank and stand in front of it and say i jesus commands you <laughs> to come out well i think you right the way you just described it you can describe many theological traditions and how they've chosen different roads can't you right you can find certain traditions that say our job is to stand apart from government systems of any kind we proclaim the gospel we love the poor and we expect to be persecuted we expect to be put in jail so be it. And then you find others that go, no, no, no. Part of the job of the church, the people of God, are to infiltrate these systems because the kingdom is coming now and will come fully. And so they, you know, we're going we're gonna to infiltrate and bring blessing and power and grace in the midst of these things. You can see 
how different theological traditions, for mm -hmm. example, think about politics or economy. And, you know, I, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know, I've mostly just thought there's really interesting different theological traditions that bring the kingdom in different ways. And some we have to worry are being complicit with power, trying to play with power as a means of somehow bringing the kingdom that is radically ineffective and actually might be dangerous. And then there's also the other danger of just being separatist yeah. and saying we don't really care. You know, we're going to build our city on a hill over here and hope that the rest of you make your way towards us. So we can, of course, see the extremes and it's... And it's knowing that somehow justice will be brought to the earth and that in this time it's not going to come fully, but that we do bring elements. And that's why even the history of the church is we've done stuff like that. You know, if you look at just how is, how is the world really getting better? And people that have followed Jesus have brought incredible uh, freedom to people. I mean, I love like the Quakers. Are, I love the Quakers. Mm-hmm. You know, the Quakers did so many interesting things by way of justice and healing. I mean, they're putting price tags on stuff for the first time because they're like, to negotiate is a form of lying. Mm. We refuse to do that. Mm. What a fascinating thought, right? And, and P.S., that has really helped. I mean, you take a Westerner and you stick them in a market in like Turkey and they like get really stressed because they're like, do I have to lie to buy this thing? <laughs> but anyway, so in small ways and in huge ways of like the way women are treated around the world and children... So I, I, I would probably lean more towards the we're engaging these systems prophetically. We're, we're going within them to bring transformation because of the presence, the power of the kingdom. And yet, a clear reading of Revelation would tell us that part of following the Lamb is that uh, we should expect to be killed for that. And that, that's a good segue into something I wanted to ask you guys at the, at the, at the end here. So... If we pay attention to po popular culture and the way that it treats issues like this, it's all funneled toward the purpose of scaring us about these kinds of conversations, these kinds of entities. We are supposed to be horrified and even panicked by any encounter that we have with this. And my experience uh, off and on of dealing in these, even the night that we spent in the small group, directly talking about Jesus' relationship with Satan, I said something to my wife like, if uh, past experience holds true, I'm going to be swarmed by mosquitoes tomorrow <laughs> because we've just done this. And sure enough, she and, I, she and I both were. It wasn't anything like, you know, dramatic or anything, but just a lot of irritating, mm. su succession of irritating pokes and prods and disappointments mm. that, that seemed unnaturally heaped upon themselves and afterward that that day after i said to my wife isn't this doesn't this happen and so we stopped and said you know what enough of the mosquitoes we just stopped and the two of us kind of agreed together that's enough and the day the next day was wholly different than that so that is that crazy and the second question is to what extent are we at risk when we stick our head up out of the muck and say, no, I am going to be involved in deliver. I am going to work in the system against these. To what extent are, and what risk are we taking when we do things like that? Great question. I, I have something to say about that. You have something to say. My thing to say is this. Jesus was not a demon hunter. 
Don't be a demon hunter. Jesus went about his business, bringing the presence and the power of the kingdom, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Don't worry. Demons will come at you. You need not. (laughs) If you stumble into them, they will show themselves. You don't need to go hunt them, number one. Number two, uh, there's a huge tradition in many kind of more Pentecostal and charismatic traditions of taking on uh, demons of like territories or things like this. Um, just anecdotally, I would say, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Jude says something about that. Mm-hmm. Don't, sele- don't slander celestial beings. Mm-hmm. It's not smart for you to do that. I mean, even the angels, he says, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds like a strange thought, mm-hmm. but I've just had way too many friends that try to swim around in circles in it. I, 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 the reason I'm saying this is because I think it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't supposed to do the air war. We're, we're the ground war. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 we're doing work. We have things to do. We preach Jesus Christ and crucified and resurrected. As people crash into Jesus, all kinds of things uh, bring freedom. Mm-hmm. We do the work of justice on the ground with people. And demons will appear. They'll show themselves. You need not look for them. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I, so I would say, yes, you are in danger if you play outside of your, <laughs> where you're supposed to play on the field. <laughs> Um, and so be wise, be thoughtful, but don't be afraid. Hmm. Hmm. Don't be afraid yeah. and, uh, and, and expect to suffer. Some of what you said is, you know, just counterattack. Mm-hmm. You push your fingers against the board, against the grain, you're going to get some splinters. And, hmm. you know, if we're in a world that's dark and evil, there will be resistance. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. In some ways, see that as confirmation. Hmm. I love how Paul talks about this. He goes, oh, yeah, I mean, you're telling me I'll suffer if I go to Jerusalem? They might even kill me? Hmm. Oh, well, that's what the Holy Spirit tells me everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, I guess we're going. You know? <laughs> and I think, whoa, that is, his values were aligned to understand I am in a fight. Yeah, that's good. But the fight, when he talks about fight, when he uses battle imagery... Hmm. It's very conspicuous that he's using defensive yes. battle imagery. We are wearing this armor that will extinguish the flames of the evil one. And the image has to be that we are not marching against the gates of hell, but they can't prevail against us because of the authority we have. Mm-hmm. We are doing God's work. We are working in Jesus' authority. And when we get attacked, we should be confident that we can extinguish those arrows. Mm. All the TV shows where people wear bullet, bulletproof vests, they always fall over and are nearly knocked unconscious and you think they're dead because it really does hurt. <laughs> but their lives are saved and that maybe is a... Yeah. I'm sure that Paul would have used the image of Kevlar if he... Yeah, that's right, that's if good. he had it. That's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. You know, it's interesting as, as we close here... Uh, um, after that night spent with the uh, young people doing this and my, my wife and I, are, you know, then interact with the kids for a while afterwards and I go to bed and she's still out there interacting with them all. And she came to bed late that night and she said, Rick, 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 we've got to do this again next week. We've got to do like round two because all of these young people, you know, when I asked them, they said, yeah, I want to learn more about this. And I felt very unsettled mm-hmm. and it was late at night. And I said, 
my first reaction is Bev is absolutely not. We're not going to do round two. And she said, why? They're, they're literally asking me if we could do this next week. And I said, let's talk tomorrow when I'm not so tired. So we talked the next day and it gave me time to think. And we're on a walk. And I said, this is going to be hard for me to articulate, but I don't want to give too much credit and attention and interest and almost moving it into the realm of the sexy kind of talking about this. I want to take a break and come back at this through another more normal Mm -hmm. portal if we can. And she kind of pushed back some because the reaction was so strong. And I said, but that's sort of the reason why I don't want to do it Mm -hmm. the next time. I think it can turn into a, a kind of a distraction. And so it's interesting listening to you guys talk about this, that we said that it's a normal part of what Jesus did in in his everyday life. And you're saying, Jay, yeah, this is an aspect of our life. We don't have to go seeking for it. It will find us when it finds us. We, we are normal Christian people who treat it as a normal thing that happens in the life of following Jesus. And we don't give it special sort of special attention (laughs) almost. So just in closing, is there anything else that uh, either one of you would like to sort of put a, a period on in this discussion? Is there anything left unsaid that you'd like to say to, to close this off? I can't think of anything except to agree with you and, and that, and that stance that you took. Um, it's always, whenever I talk about this or th- even think about this, it's, the question always comes, why didn't God give us more information on how Satan fell and where the demons came from and all that kind of stuff? It'd be great stuff to have in a, in a Bible. And I think it's because he doesn't want us to focus on it. That's not really our job. That's good. Jay? Yeah, I'd say uh, the war rages, but the... Uh, the end is certain. Jesus has won. The victory is certain. But the battle rages on. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did when I was in it. It actually could have kept going, but we had to go to dinner, so we had to stop. But it probably could have kept going. It was just a very enjoyable a conversation between three people who have three different experiences of this whole deal. So remember, uh, if you want to find out more information, but maybe in deeper detail about um, anything you just heard, just go to payingridiculousattentiontojesus.com, and you'll find our podcast section, and you're looking for Season 3, Episode 32. Don't forget, if you haven't already picked up a copy of The Unreasonable Jesus for summer reading, you could try that out as well. I mentioned at the start that Spiritual Grit is great for a small group. Study Sows on the Unreasonable Jesus. It has the same thing. It has small group questions at the end of every chapter. So head on over to group.com or Amazon and pick up a copy of Unreasonable Jesus and think about maybe uh, using that for a little book club here at the end of the summer. And you can also, if you if you haven't yet picked up a copy of the Jesus-Centered Bible, Wow, at the Simply Jesus Gathering, I bring a bunch of our resources, and so many of those Jesus-centered Bibles got purchased while we were there, because uh, if you're a Jesus lover, it's it's like uh, your favorite bait to see a Bible that sort of focuses everything in, uh, in, in what you're reading around a relationship with Jesus and unveils him in ways you've never seen before. So if you've 
If you've never picked up a copy of the Jesus-Centered Bible, that's something to, to pick up this summer as well. So remember, this podcast is called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, and that's what we do here. We love to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus because we're drawn to his beauty. So head on over to our uh, podcast page, and, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes to make sure you get all the latest episodes. And next week, we'll do another episode on Jesus's relationship with Satan. We'll see you then.